So here's the thing about this time, this Easter and, and Palm Sunday and leading up to it. Have you ever felt like, hey, Easter's a big deal. It's coming up in a few days. Maybe I did like, like kind of didn't do something, gave up something for Lent, or maybe I didn't. But I know that Easter's a big deal, even if I hardly ever go to church, because some of you are here, I know you're new or you're just checking it out and you're welcome here. We're glad that you're here. But you know something about Easter. You know something that, it's, that, that there's significance to it. But how many of us have, have been around a time like this, looking at Easter coming, or maybe it was Christmas Eve or something like that, and you think to yourself, I should feel more. <laughs> like, I think this should matter more to me. Or I, I wish that I was a little bit more engaged. I wish, I wish that I felt something. I wish that there was more significance to this for me, you know? Have you ever gone through like an like a important season and it just went past and you, it, it left you unchanged and you're like, man, I wonder if I missed something in all of this or, or I wonder if God was like wanting to talk to me and I just didn't get it or whatever the case may be. Here's what I'm hoping, that we're going to spend these next few minutes here this morning and you are going to hear from God in some way, through his word, through me, through just a whisper in your spirit, some way, that he, he, he is going to begin to shift your mindset in some way or, 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 or draw you toward this idea of Easter in, in a way that is a little bit different than you've thought about it before. And maybe it sparks something in you so that this week is, is more significant than you maybe anticipate. That's what I'm going to hope and expect. So, uh, if you, since we don't have projector power right now, pull out your outline and get, get, those, um, get that passage. I just put this big passage on your outline today because this is where we're going to land. This is what, you're, what we're going to look at. So if you're tracking along, you can also look in your Bibles or in your digital device. We're going to read the first couple of verses and I'm going to pause. As they approached Jerusalem... And came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you at once, and you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the interesting thing about this is that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here. It had been said hundreds of years prior that Jesus was going to come. He was going to show up. The the Messiah, the Savior was going to come. And he would come in an unexpected way. He would come on a donkey. Now, I don't know. I mean, if you think about the king and the royal weddings that we've seen on TV and stuff like that, they don't roll casual, you know? They show up in what would have been like that day's equivalent of a Bentley, right? Like golden chariot kind of thing. Like when, when, when the king shows up, it's a big to-do. You don't expect a king on the smelliest animal in the stable, you know? Here's another interesting thing about that is when Jesus sends his disciples to him, we got it, Jonathan. boy. Thank you, guys. So when Jesus sends his disciples to go get the donkey, notice he says, if anyone gives you a hard time, tell them that I'll send it back. Now, I imagine that when the God of the universe who, who had the idea for a donkey sits on a donkey, 
the donkey's going to be okay. You know, and I, probably it's a little even stronger. Like the donkey comes back and he's like, he's like donkey on steroids now. And donkey owner is like, dude, that guy can borrow my donkey anytime. You know, I mean, there's, there's something about that. But Jesus wants him to know or her to know that this donkey will come back intact. So it's the king of the universe. Not only is he coming to town, but he's coming on a donkey. And he wants the owner of the donkey to know that the donkey will be returned in good form, right? He is a humble God. He was not the kind of conquering king that they expected. Okay, let's keep reading. The disciples went and did what Jesus asked them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road with other with other cut branches, while cut bran- others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, like we had the kids waving the branches in here this morning. So they cut the branches, they spread them on the road also. The crowds went ahead of him, and those followed shouted, Hosanna. We'll get to that in a second. So we have, we have these branches being cut and thrown on the road in front of the God in skin on a donkey, coming in a way that they don't expect. And yet they see, they recognize, and something happens here. Now, They take off their coats, cloaks, coverings, and they lay them on the road in front of the God on the donkey for the donkey to walk. Now, when you think of that, you might think of a romantic movie when the the gentleman, you know, suitor, I don't know what that word is weird, when the the guy (laughs) takes off, it's in the rain, and the guy takes off his jacket and puts it on the puddle, right? And so that that the woman he's trying to impress doesn't have to get her shoes wet. And so it's, it's kind of a similar thing. It's saying, hey, we, you're important. We don't even want you to walk on this dirt road. We're going lo- to throw down our coats for your donkey. We would prefer to be a Bentley, but it's a donkey. And so we're going to let your donkey walk on our coats as you march into Jerusalem. Because this is a big deal. Okay? Now, it's even a bigger deal than that. Because what you need to understand is that cloaks meant more then than they do now. They didn't have walk-in closets like some of us with just an assortment of clothes. They wore undergarments and they wore cloaks. So they had undergarments and then they threw on their cloak. They didn't have a bunch of them. So when they had a cloak, it meant something about who they were. Their cloak represented their identity in some ways. You could tell a person's social status by what they wore. You could tell if a person was a fisherman or a tax collector or a Pharisee, the religious leaders. You could tell if a person had a lot of money or a little money because of their cloak. In fact, the Jewish people, a good little, you know, growing up, a good little Jewish boy or girl would know this, that they had on their cloaks tassels at the four corners, at the four edges of this large overgarment. And these tassels, they're called tzitzits, and they were, they were to be reminders of the commandments of God to his people. And so they took great care, lots of time and energy, tying these tassels, knotting them in different ways. And the more religious you were, the more time you spent and the longer your tassels were. So the overcoat was not only a sign of social status, but for many it was a sign of spiritual status. It let people know who you are, how you lived, 
where you stood with God, how serious you took your religion. And so when these people took off their cloaks and threw them on the ground, it meant something, something different, something special, right? So I brought some jackets here. Uh, Jala, you're going to help me. I appreciate this, dude. Let's just go right top one, right? So here's a jacket, and this is my jacket, and I got this jacket. In the first service, I put the jacket on, and I said, so if, if this was like a status thing, what was I thinking when I got this jacket? And someone popped off over here and said, no one knows what you were thinking. <laughs> it's not a bad jacket, right? So I, I bought this. I bought this because... Uh, my friends own this company. It's called Apollos Global, and they are up in L.A., and, and their slogan is activism through industry. So they started this company, and they partner with, or they go and find in different countries, people who can sew, and they start little kind of shops, and they partner with these people, and they'll take a garment. So this garment was made somewhere like Bangladesh or something like that, and they have a little shop, and they put these people to work, men and women, and this is their livelihood, and they, cre- they craft a product like this. And then they sell it all over the place at a high margin. And, and so they, they do this. And so when I wear this coat, it makes me think, and maybe I'm subconsciously hoping to exude, the fact that I trust that these guys are on kind of the front edge of fashion, so they're not going to lead me astray or too far astray, and, and that they're doing good in the world. So there's some kind of a social component to this too, an activism component. And so if you wear clothes like this, maybe you're someone who cares about that. And so you buy clothes that are going to a good purpose. And so I'm going to take this and I'm going to throw it down right here. What what else we got? Thanks, John. So this is another coat. And uh, this one, I remember when I got this like right out of college and I was going, I was going on a trip and uh, I went to USC, and so it was warm mostly, and we were going up to Mammoth, and so I needed a warm jacket. And now I didn't really want, like, a big old coat, so I thought, well, this has f- kind of fur in it, so that should be warm, right? It's a poser's jacket. This, this jacket is, like, pretending it's a warm kind of jacket, but it's still just, like, you kind of just want to look cool, but, like, you've got some fur coming out in different places. I don't think this was cool 10 years ago, by the way. It's just, it just is what it is. And it's a tweener. It didn't really keep me warm, and it wasn't really very fashionable. So, but I think I got that because I was trying to play the role and look like I belonged in the mountains. Thank you, Jala. Jala actually told me that this is my Beatles coat. So perhaps whenever I bought this jacket, uh, I was thinking that I wanted to look a little bit like a European rock star. So... Um, I didn't have anything like it, and I thought, oh, that's kind of fun and, and hip and trendy. I'm not sure. I don't think I can pull it off. I hardly ever wear it, um, but that's that. And so maybe you can picture your own garments as I put these on, and I'm going to throw that one there. Thank you, Jala. And so this one, this, this, this one got people excited in the 9 o'clock service. I don't know why. I mean, it's just like we must have had all of our like, motorcycle riders in the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> Uh, they got fired up about it. So this one, if I'm wearing this one, I'm thinking that uh, maybe I'm convincing someone that I'm a little bit tougher than I really am. And, uh, and because it weighs like 20 pounds, so you have to be a little bit strong to even wear it. And, and I've never been on a motorcycle in my life, uh, but it, it feels kind of, I don't know, it just does feel kind of tough. And so, and so if I wear this jacket, I might be trying to kind of like communicate that I'm, uh, you know, tougher or that I like outdoor sports. Motorsports, I don't. 
But that's that. That's that jacket. Thanks, dude. Now, here's a controversial one. <laughs> I know, I know. Let's, let, let's just, we're all family here. We don't have to, we don't have, I'm not even going to say, it's not, hasn't been a good, good couple of years, so I'm not even going to say anything except for this. This, if I'm wearing this jacket, it's rare, and it's uh, on USC campus, or it's at some event, or uh, some kind of sporting deal, and if I was, if I was kind of motivated to, I would wear this to, to prove to people that at some point in my past life, I was a pretty decent athlete, and so I would want people to know that this is, you know, I, I, I earned this, I played at USC, blah, 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 right, and so if I were to wear this, that's what I would be saying. I would, I would want people to know that I, you know, did something cool in college, and, and so I'm going to throw this one down to you. And then last one. Thank you, Jala. I appreciate your help, bud. Uh, and then there's this. You can't see the tag, but this is a Versace coat. Okay? Okay? You're welcome. Uh, and I bought this, like, a sale on top of a sale at a Nordstrom Rack in, like, Phoenix or something like that. And so... Um, and I got this when I was trying to interview for jobs, and I thought, I need, like, a slick suit that proves that, you know, I'm, I'm hireable, you know? Like, I, I, can, I can present. I'm successful. I have a degree. I can do stuff. And so I, that's where, that's why, I, uh, that's why I got this. That's why I got this jacket. And so... Like, like, yeah, if the whole, you know, ministry thing doesn't pan out, I'll get this thing back out, and I'll, like, apply for more jobs, and I'm going to throw that down right there. So, um, it's kind of different. I don't know if you, you kind of see where I'm going with that. It's a little bit different from having a cloak that represents all that you are and who you are in social status, uh, and, and that they only had one, and they had tassels and all these things, but we can relate in some way. There are things you'll notice up here, you'll notice up here that I, I don't have like a, a coat that looks like I can fix stuff um, because I can't. Uh, I don't own one of those. And I was reminded of that this week when my, um, my garbage disposal in our sink got clogged and we had, we, uh, someone was over and was like slicing potato peel and they, you don't put those in the garbage disposal just so you know. And and so it got clogged, and I reached my hand down there and tried to get it all out, and I, and I got some out, and it still wouldn't work. And I was like, ah, oh, forget it. I'm calling the plumber. So I called him. He's like, I'm out of town. I'll do it in two days. And then Hillary says, are we going to have to pay for this? We are just renting. And I was like, yeah, but it's our fault. We'll probably have to pay for it. And so the next day, I'm at work. I'm at the office here, and she texts me, and it's just a simple message. It's a picture of the sink totally cleaned out. And it says, cancel the plumber. Hashtag, I wear the pants. <laughs> she doesn't wear the pants. I wear the pants, damn it. But I actually can't fix anything. So um, I don't have a coat from Dickies. I don't have anything that looks like I do stuff. Um, that's just not one of my strengths. And so... Uh, wh- 
But, but here's the thing, is whether, it, whether it's stuff that I put on or, or things that I assume and, and ways that I suggest that I can't do stuff and I say, oh, I'm not a fix-it guy or, oh, I'm not this or I don't have that and I, and I put on this, this thing that says I'm not good at stuff or it's insecurity or it's this way and, and, and maybe that's the case or whether it's, it's these things. It's, it's, these things represent things at different times in my life that I kind of hoped were true about me or that I wanted to present. You with me? And so we, we have those kind of things in our life. We, we can relate in some way to those people throwing down their cloaks for this Jesus. And let's keep going. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna literally means save us. Save us. And they, the Jews used to shout Hosanna, save us, save us, when they were back in Egypt, when they were in slavery to Pharaoh. And they would cry out, God, save us. Save us from this oppression. Save us from this brutality. Won't you save us? And he did. He sent Moses. And you've heard the story of Moses and the ten plagues and the craziness that ensued. And the last one was the Passover. And if you had the lamb's blood above your door, as we talked about, the angel of death would just pass you right by. If you didn't, you lost your firstborn son. And they said, God was responding, saying, I will save you. I am going to draw you out. And so Pharaoh released them. Moses marched them into the desert. God parted the Red Sea. They marched around on their way to the promised land. And here's the interesting thing. Now, whatever, 1,500 years later, they're saying it again. And it's on the Passover, on Lamb Selection Day. And what they don't really comprehend or realize what's happening here is that Jesus has come down and he is willing to be the final lamb, the final sacrifice. This is the story that's circling back. It's coming full circle. And here he is. And they're shouting again, Hosanna, save us, save us. And we have that, we have that instinct don't we? I mean, as we approach Easter and we think, God, I don't want to miss this. There's something significant about this. Maybe many of you have made a decision before in your life to, to follow Jesus and that he has saved you. And there's still something inside of you, though. There's, there's, there's issues, there's circumstances all the time in all of our lives. There's things that we still need to be saved from and to this Savior. And so we relate in some way when, when, the, when the king comes, when, this, when we look at Easter and we say, God, save us, have mercy. And here's the interesting thing, is that those people, the same ones who shouted, save us, Hosanna, just a few days later, were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. In a few days, their expectation of who this Savior should be, what he should do for them, shifted or it confused them so that when, when, this, when this Jesus, this God on a donkey walking over their cloaks, it's fine if he's going to overthrow the Roman government. It's fine if he's going to go set them free from Caesar and the oppressive Roman guards and everything else and the crazy 66% taxes and whatever. 
that be our king. Save us from this craziness. But when he goes and he's arrested and he doesn't even defend himself, they turn. They're like, this isn't the, this isn't the deal. This is not what I signed up for. This isn't the kind of saving that I was talking about. So when he stands before Pilate and Herod and these guys and he's been condemned and someone shouts out, hey, he saves others, let him save himself. And they're like, yeah, good point. Why can't he even save himself? This can't be our God. This can't be the king. Because they had an expectation of what being saved looked like. They thought that they knew freedom from this government, freedom from these taxes, make my life better, make, make me more powerful, have me be someone special in this society. They thought that that's what they were laying down their cloaks for. And when it didn't happen, they took their cloaks back up and they said, crucify him, crucify him. But the ironic thing is that the road to the cross is a road of laying down. And it wasn't just them who were laying down. It was Jesus who was laying down his life, his identity for them. Can we make this work, Jonathan? We're going to fire up the little technology thing here. Also known as an iPad. This is Matthew 16, verse 21. This is the Glow Bible. You know, I just figured you have apps, you have Bibles. You just see what I'm seeing. This is where I look. So, Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chiefs, priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So this is before this situation is playing out. This is weeks before, and he is preparing them. He's saying, hey, the time is coming when I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer. This, this whole thing isn't going to play out kind of how you have it in your minds. You have, it, you have it going up and to the right, and it's going to take a dramatic drop first. Prepare yourselves. But this is the way to salvation. You've got to lay your life down before you pick it back up. And, and this is Peter's response. Peter, one of his best friends, most intimate disciples, he, he says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Smart. Tell, tell God that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. In other words, you are being influenced by the enemy. You are working on his behalf. Shut your mouth. You you don't get this. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Must lay down themselves must lay down their expectations, must lay down the things that they hold as their identity, whether they have or have not. They lay down in order to take up this cross. This is the path for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Friends, you and I have things that we wear, that we exude, that we want people to think about us, that we hope for the future, that we rest on and rely on, that are preventing us from fully surrendering and receiving all that is the salvation of this God. Now, you might have made a decision and, and, and have eternal 
relationship with Jesus for all of eternity, yes. But there is still more that you are holding on to. There are still things that we put on that compete, that compete for our identity, that compete for our salvation. There, there are things that we still hope. If all else fails, at least, at least I wasn't a college athlete. Like, I can rely on that. I can say, if people think, oh, you're lame, you, you kind of, you're not very good anymore. No, 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 well, I, once I was good, right? Or at least, if everything else fails, if everything else fails, I can still say, oh, I got that degree. I got a good degree. If the ministry thing doesn't work out, I can probably still land a job somewhere because of this. If everything else fails, I can still say, well, my, my family's cool, and I have, I have these skills and abilities, and, and I, ha- you know, I have connections through that or whatever. And so we put on, and we put on, and we say, these are, these are the things that are my identity. And the question is, are you willing to take them off and lay them down? For the Savior of the world to come through. Because the pathway to that salvation comes by laying down. And you serve a God who laid down his life. Who took off his cloak in heaven and his crown. And laid them down for you. And that's his invitation. Whoever wants to be my disciple, it'll look kind of similar. You're going to have to lay down the things that compete. You're going to have to lay down the things that you, that you kind of wish weren't true or wish, or wish were true about you. You're going to have to lay down the expectations of how your salvation should look or how he should show up in your life. The entitlement of feeling like you deserve your life to play out a different way, you're going to have to lay that down if you want to experience this in all of its fullness. And if you want to hear from him and see what he has for you to see and experience this Easter, it's an invitation in some ways to die, but that is the path to life. And it's unexpected, and and he comes on a donkey for crying out loud, and you're like, really, this? This is the way? Like, I have to go through this, or I have to be embarrassed in this way, or I have to have things not go my way, or, or I have to, whatever it is, it's, 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 this, it's this act of surrender, this act of laying down, and then all of a sudden, he does the most incredible, miraculous thing in the history of the world, and he, we celebrate it every Easter, but he does it every day in lives like yours and in lives like mine. So we're just going to pray, and we're going to invite God to speak, because there are There are things that I believe that he wants to tell to you that you are holding on to, expectations that need to be laid down, identity things that you're clinging to, and this is more me, and I don't want to let go of this. I don't want to trust you yet, God. Entitlements that you need to lay down so that you can know the the power of this cross in this season. God, I just pray that you would speak that you would convict, that you would encourage, that you would show, and in your gentle, humble way, because you don't force yourself on us, in your gentle, humble way, that you would reveal yourself, show yourself trustworthy. Give us the courage to just lay down what we have and say, we want you. We believe that you are the savior of the world. You tell us how we should live. We want to be where you are going. It might not look how we expect. It might not be full of all the things that we think on the surface, but we know it's the ultimate fulfillment. 
Show us that path in Jesus' name.